Hello and welcome to the Nomi Key Show. I am Nomi Key Konst. We are 69 days away from inauguration or not, (laughs) even after all we have been through, I am just amazed and horrified by Donald Trump's willingness to destroy anything in front of him. First, he undercut the credibility of journalism. Then he went after the independence of the courts. He misused the military, scoffed at science, ridiculed academics, and demonized the left, of course. But what he's doing right now is attacking the process this country was built on. We elect our leaders when they are done with their term of office or when we are done with them and vote them out, they go. They peacefully hand over the power to the next person in the chain of democratic government that goes all the way back to George Washington. This idea is so fundamental and it was so radical in its day that Lin-Manuel Miranda described it in Hamilton. These are Miranda's words. They say George Washington's yielding his power and stepping away. Is that true? I wasn't aware that was something a person could do. That was, of course, uh, in response to the king. That was his his statement in in Hamilton. Okay, I, I'm sure I can work on my rapping, of course. But just to make it very clear, this is very important. Here we are 230 years later, and Donald Trump is denying the election results and refusing to step away. Sure, he has a right to ask for recounts or any other regular process to establish, as he says, that all legal votes were counted and none of the illegal ones, whatever that means. What he does not have a right to do is kick over the fundamental principles of our country on his way out the door. He's doing long-term damage that is much bigger than Trump himself. Those in his party who are letting him do this should be ashamed of themselves, and they should be called out. Mitch McConnell knows better. Mike Pompeo is a history teacher. He certainly knows better. This election is over. There is no evidence, none, not a zero of fraud or errors that could even possibly reverse the results in one state, let alone three or four, that would be needed to undo Biden's victory. Yet the Trump attack on the American electoral system continues. Let me read you something, and I quote, One potential strategy discussed by Mr. Trump's legal team would be attempting to get courts to delay vote certification in critical states, potentially positioning Republican-controlled legislatures to appoint pro-Trump electors who could swing the Electoral College in his favor, end quote. Where did I read this? It wasn't in Jacobin or The Nation. I read it in a critique against Trump and his actions in the Republican Party In today's Wall Street Journal, third paragraph of a front page news story, the Wall Street Journal is warning us there is madness in the White House that Trump's team is considering wildly destructive ideas. Well, when the Wall Street Journal sounds the alarm, you know it's time to shut this thing down. Now, maybe Trump won't go that far. Maybe Trump is just trying to keep the right energized for the Georgia voting in January for the for the uh, the runoff, the Senate runoff. Or maybe he is pandering to his base so they will follow him from politics to his secret TV network where he can actually do reality TV and, you know, what he's good at. I have no idea. And we cannot sit around waiting to find out. It is all equally outrageous. The legitimacy of the American electoral system is not a tool to boost turnout in Georgia. We can't set the precedent for this in the future. Try phone banking instead for Georgia. That might work, Republicans. And we surely cannot destroy the legitimacy of American elections as an instrument for media marketing. 
But of course, this has been the problem all along. Donald Trump has no regard and barely an awareness of what institutions mean. They are just obstacles to his goals, especially if those institutions are there to protect the basic tenets of our democracy. The rest of the Republican Party has been just way too craven or too frightened to stop him. Well, I have a message to both parties, Democrats too. You are each at a crossroads. What you do in the next few weeks and even days will shape what you are, who you are for a long time. The Democrats know what the country needs and what the people want, an economically just system. That means you have to pick between your corporate seducers and a progressive political party. You know which side I'm on. But also, read the room! To continue to side with corporate cronies and banks and the military-industrial complex right now? Come on, man! And Republicans, you have an equally important decision. Your party has always been a defender of our institutions, especially the crusty ones that need to be gutted, often de defending them as an excuse to hold back change. But we all agree those institutions matter and that without them, we descend into autocracy. We, as progressives, believe in government. So Republicans, are you going to keep relying on dirty tricks to win? And those beloved institutions of, of, of yours dismantle as a result of these dirty tricks? Your Faustian bar bargain with the devil, with the yellow hair, is now about to destroy what you have so long defended. The Republicans' own lawyers argued that elections have to end. They have to have an end. Well, this is one, this one is, is well over, and your side, Republicans, lost the top job. Although there are plenty of down-ballot races we would like to reverse on our side. We are headed to a very dangerous place where elections don't mean anything if someone, you, me, the cat in a hat, I don't know, if we don't like the outcome. But if elections don't mean anything, what kind of less lowercase d democracy do we have? The election is over and the rebuilding of this country needs to start. We have an excellent show today. We have Thomas Frank. He is here for the entire show. We're going to talk about his favorite restaurants. No, we're going to talk about the future of the Democratic Party and the fall of the Democratic Party. But first, here are the news stories at the top of my feed. On Tuesday, the Senate Appropriations Committee called for almost $700 billion in funding to military expenses. But at the same time, Senate Republicans are proposing cuts to funding for an OSHA training grant program. This program is responsible for funding organizations that train workers and employees, quote, on the recognition, avoidance, and prevention of safety and health hazards in their workplaces, end quote. In other words, the party that claims to revere American values of freedom and justice is going to make it easier, not harder, for American lives to be put in danger in the workplace. We already know that the GOP are hypocrites and that their party strategy is guided by profit motive. This just puts their war on the working class in plainer terms. Okay, Biden's administration is ramping up its transition, which we have covered, which includes the creation of, ta of a task force to address the coronavirus outbreak. As Trump clings to power, power he continues to reject any kind of meaningful action to support and protect the American people. Biden has been democratically elected, meaning that it is Trump's responsibility to acknowledge the will of the people and comply with the transition process. But as a recent piece for Common Dreams points out, Trump's rejection of the election outcome is also endangering a strong government response to COVID-19. ICU beds in Tulsa, Oklahoma are full right now. 
The U.S. is reporting unprecedented COVID infection numbers, and our current president is determined to keep full attention on his authoritarian power grab, not to mention the chair of the task force on coronavirus is on vacation. Mike Pence, our sitting vice president in charge of this crisis for the next few months at least, is on vacation as the U.S. reaches record COVID rates. And that is the state of the country today. <laughs> All right, guys, make sure to smash that like button. If you are not already on, uh, if you haven't subscribed on our YouTube, make sure to click the subscribe button and the little bell to know when we go live with important breaking news, little rants. Every once in a while, I just wake up and I say in the middle of the night, I'm going to do a, I'll take a nap and I'll wake up. So I'm going to do a rant now. Uh, so make sure to do that. And if you are not already, please join us on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash the Nomi Key Show for as low as five bucks a month. That's a cold brew, as I always say, because every morning I get a cold brew because I'm addicted to caffeine and nothing but a cold brew will help me, sometimes a nitro. And those things are like six bucks each, six bucks each. So I would be happy to buy another, instead of buying another cold brew, <laughs> I can't give up a cold brew. I uh, choose to help out my, my fellow independent media uh, journalists and hosts out there because corporate media is doing all it can to eliminate our voices from cable news. When we get on there, we're spicy. Uh, it's just kind of how it works, but luckily there's independent media. So if you can, please join us at patreon.com slash the Nomi Key Show. We will be back after a quick break with Thomas Frank to talk about the Democratic Party. There's a lot to talk about, the history, the future, what's, what's going on right now. Do we even have a Democratic Party? Paging Tom Perez, are you still there? All right, we'll be right back. Man, okay, this is a week where I, 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 I lost it uh, when it came to the Democratic Party. I mean, I have spent a good part of my adult life, uh, I wouldn't say professional life because it was never professional. I was never paid to do that. Well, maybe my first job was um, working on reforming the Democratic Party. And part of the reason is the down ballot races. What we as progressives were frustrated about uh, and I think Democrats, too, was the down ballot losses in a year that was supposed to be ours. Right. And to me, the, the, the all fingers point to the Democratic Party. And there's really no way around it because you need that ballot line. You need to have a Democratic Party. You need to have that. You know, the caucus needs it exists. It's just what we're dealt with. So um, I almost lost my mind. And I thought I would like to dedicate an entire show to uh, reminding folks how Democrats got here. Uh, and where they might be going and what's happened in the last few years. And there was no better person to discuss this with than the one and only Thomas Frank. He is the author of The People No, A Brief History of Anti-Populism. And of course, Listen Liberal uh, or whatever happened to the party of the people. And famously, we all know uh, what's the matter with Kansas, how conservatives won the heart of America. All of those things describe what happened last Tuesday. <laughs> All of your titles. Thomas Frank, welcome to the show. And Naomi, I don't know how I'm going to live up to that. Um, but Was thank that your you. That's very, very, that's very nice. That's, no, you said like, I mean, uh, listen, that was very nice of you. And I'm going to try to, uh, I'll do my best to try to, uh, uh, you know, to, to, to walk you through the disaster that is the Democratic Party. And, you know, you, you're asking the same question that everybody's asking, you know, 
what the hell happened to the repudiation of Donald Trump? And I just think, I think in my, in my lifetime, there have been, you know, a number of presidents that, uh, you know, that, that showed their incompetence in office, uh, you know, and I, and I, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to be tendentious or partisan here, but I think of Jimmy Carter, I think of George Bush senior, I think of George Bush junior and all of them, it were the, the public really turned against them. Richard Nixon. Oh my God. Uh, you know, uh, uh, the, the, the public hated these people. They didn't stay loyal to them. <laughs> you know, once they, had shown what a disaster they were, their leadership was. And um, that didn't happen with this guy, with Trump the other day. And that's, uh, that is mighty peculiar. Um, and it's a, you know, it's a big question. It's well, he, take lost. A he, he lost. He lost. He lost. But, they, but, he, but you were mentioning the down ballot races. Yeah, I mean, he, he lost, but the, uh, a, a big part of his base remained loyal to him. I guess enough people flipped so that he was, or enough people came, came out and voted so that, yeah, he's not going to be president any longer, no matter, <laughs> no matter what he says or, or tries, he's, he's done. And uh, that's, that is a welcome relief. But it is, it is remarkable that he wasn't repudiated in the manner of, of some of those other people that I that I just mentioned. And, you know, this is part of a larger story, which is, uh, uh, you know, I, I, the way I've been putting it for the last year or so is that the Democratic Party has been running a 30 year experiment to sort of see what it what it looks like when you have you know you have a two party system it's basically locked in by law we can't get out of it we can't run an outside challenge to these guys and within that system what happens when the party that is on the left decides it doesn't want to be a left party anymore a, tr a traditional left party and it wants to be something else uh, you know can i just ask you real quick what would a traditional left party look like because uh, for for those of us who are in their 30s we've never seen one before in america <laughs> i know you have to read about it in books <laughs> i'm so sorry <laughs> it would be it would be uh, focused on it would have a name like labor party <laughs> or social democrat and it would it would be focused on the well-being of um of working class people and it would probably say something like that explicitly working class people the democratic party used to say they they were never they didn't they they try they usually shied away from that term they would say middle class that was always their that was always the term of art that was the sort of but that doesn't say, exist anymore you can't say that right, that's that's the euphemism right that was yeah. the euphemism and you can't well you look at their convention you know i am um, I think I'm the only journalist left in America that I watched both parties conventions, like all of them and took notes and then wrote an essay about it. <laughs> I had to get it published in France. I you know, there's nobody in this country's interested anymore, but if you watch the uh, democratic convention, the, the convention of the party of the people, the party of Franklin Roosevelt and Harry Truman and the, you know, AFL CIO, they, they barely mentioned uh, the middle class in all of their convention. And you watch the Republican convention and Oh, Oh my God, they're all over it. They won't shut up about it. They're, they are so anxious to grab that market niche that the Democrats have abandoned, you know, but you ask yourself, so I think this is in some ways, this is the guiding question of my, and you talked about, about your career reforming the Democratic Party, my career sort of like mocking people in politics. <laughs> And this is the guiding theme of the whole thing. It's like we've had this 30 year experiment, uh, you know, and what does it look like when you have a middle class society? So I'm considerably older than you. I was born in 1965. And, you know, America had a lot of problems then. Uh, you know, the, obviously, the civil rights movement was protesting the uh, 
you know, segregation in the South at the time, but I didn't live in the South. I was born in the state of Kansas. And this is the same year as the Vietnam War got going. So you could see the sort of that old, uh, you know, world was coming to an end. But the world that I was born into was at least for white people in the North, we were a social democracy. This middle-class society was something real. People could afford healthcare. They could afford education. Even if you were a blue-collar worker, you had a pretty good standard of living. And I say white people, but there were a lot of black people in the North who were also part of this system, you know, union members and stuff like that. And that whole society is gone. And one, you know, there's a lot of reasons for that. One of them is that the Republicans have moved so far to the right, all the tax cuts, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But all of that would have been temporary, you know, the Reagan revolution and et cetera, if the Democrats had remained true to who they had always been and had pushed back and had fought back over the years. And they decided at some point not to do that anymore, that they were not interested in defending that world. Uh, so they, wanted to be, they wanted to be something different. And so, and so we're living in there. I, I hold them responsible for the world that we're, I'm sorry, you know, go ahead. No, I think you're right. I mean, this, this is, this is exactly it. It's, um, you know, I think, I think like a few years ago, well, I know from a few years ago, saying these things out loud, which you've been doing for years, um, would get you in a lot of trouble in the Democratic Party. And, and it became... Yeah. <laughs> they don't invite me to their things anymore, you know? They're, you know I don't, don't get invited to their games. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't get my CNN contract, all yeah, this yeah. stuff. Like, we've got the I whole... lost my pundit card. I have to go to France or England if I want to, you know, do this <laughs> stuff anymore. I'm Australia. sorry, pundit here. Uh, listen. <laughs> yeah. But it's... it's um, um, I mean, I remember I went on, on, on air uh, in the Democratic primary, and I'll, I'll never forget this. I was on CNN, and I was debating the head of the super PAC that was backing Hillary Clinton. And there was, I'm, you know, I like going through campaign finance filings, and I was reading the filings, and I was like, there's something really fishy here. Like, you, know, you were reading them on the air? No, 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 no. I mean, How I went dare you? No, Mickey. <laughs> oh, democracy no, I... dies in that kind of darkness, don't you? <laughs> it is a dark place to be campaign finally. Um, but I said something. I called him out uh, on on air, the, or the the pack for moving money, sort of back and forth from the Democratic Party into the Hillary Clinton campaign, and and it was all legal, but it was just a form of like kind of open money movement. I won't use the yeah. actual word because yeah. I could get yeah, in trouble. Yeah. Um, so I got off air and I, you know, my first job, really like my first political job, like where I was paid, was working for YDA, was the Young Democrats. And I was an organizer in Arizona back when YDA was part of the DNC and they believed in this so-called 50 state strategy and they so much so that they had young people organizing. And we won that year in 2006. We won the House back. Harry Mitchell uh, became the, uh, the the congressman that was elected. And we organized in that district. So so one of the people that I had been you know, part of YDA with posted something on Facebook saying, who is this Nomi Key woman? She is so disloyal. Is she a Republican plant? What is she saying on CNN right now? Oh my God. She is the way. And then it so was, you got canceled. You got canceled. Mm -hmm. It was this flood of commentary from these, like, I think a lot of these people have shifted since then because it's just been exposed so much. But what I said on air wasn't anything that people aren't saying right now, but it was just like, like you've been saying it for years. You didn't, you couldn't do it. You couldn't do it. You couldn't 
you couldn't reveal that the Clintons were well, not good Democrats. But wait, it, it's not, <laughs> there's nothing secret about it. And I, I voted for, uh, for Hillary Clinton. I actually, you know, I thought she'd be a good president. I, I was very open about that at the time, but I'm still critical. That doesn't mean I'm, you know, I'm not, I owe my loyalty not to a political party, but to ideas and to, you know, uh, to learning uh, and to, you know, understanding. That's that's what that's what my life is about. It's not about serving. I mean, they don't that's, pay me. I'm not. It's like there's two things that have happened simultaneously. You've this party that's been created. Right. Which I want to get go to that moment in a few seconds. Um it's party that kind of you know came out of the late seventies uh, Carter, Carter era into the early eighties and this neoliberal experiment in the Democratic Party simultaneously it doesn't allow dissent internally. I mean, what kind yeah, of they, they democratic won, party are you? Yeah, I yeah. know. And, uh, they, and they they won. And, and it, you know it it is funny because they themselves were dissenters back in the day, but. The, but it, yeah, it's this 30 year experiment and it's been uh, disastrous, I think, in almost any way you look at it. By the way, to, to describe, to go back to Listen Liberal, my book about the Democratic Party, uh, the, you know, the research for it, I've got, actually got it right, right here. The research for it, um, I was just going over this the other day. It, it, it's all out in the open. It's not like I was, uh, there's no skullduggery. Uh, you, know, I, you know, I had to, uh, do a little bit of historical digging, but it's all there in the in in magazines in the library. You know, the Democratic Leadership Council, which was the group that shifted the Democrats mm-hmm. to the right, they had a ma- they had a House magazine. You can you can look it up as easily as as I did. Uh, before them, this group called the Neoliberals. They actually called themselves that, by the way. The they, organization they put, called they, the Neoliberals. Yeah, they, they oh put out God, they I put out that. they put out anthologies of their writing. They're proud of it. You I know, love it's not that. it's That's not like, like a collector's you have to, edition. <laughs> Oh no! It's a, I want to light it on fire all... and say, "Burn the books!" <laughs> no, no, no. These are all these are all readily available at the library or on Amazon. You buy sec buy them secondhand. There, there's nothing secret about this. Uh, it really happened. They were out in the open. What's the the, the most damning of all the Democratic books? Uh, I always blank on the title. It was written by a lobbyist. Uh, I think he was a lobbyist for the Saudi Arabian government. Uh, back in the 60s or the early 70s. Oh, what is it called? Damn it. Anyhow, it's it's like it, so, so, so know, he was proud of it. He wrote a book and it, the, the yeah. research is easy to do. There's no secret about this. These people said at some point in the 70s, we don't want to be a party of working class organizations anymore. You know how I was just describing what a real party of the traditional party of the left looks like. And they said, we don't want to be that anymore. And by the way, this is, this was regard that we were first in this country, this, the sort of what's now called the third way. Uh, That was, that was, uh, that was here. We invented that. And they, these people organized and they, um, you know, after every election, they would blame what they called the liberals, the, you know, the, the, the sort of traditional New Deal Democrats. They would blame them for the loss, whatever it was. Uh, they got the loss and, and the, the uh, neoliberals, the new oh, Democrats so got the familiar. win. Yeah, this, so, this is, like, they always did this. Sorry, every election they did this. Oh, my God. You didn't know this? Oh, yeah. This it's is all part your fault, of this. Medicare for All. It's funny. It's, this is part no, of the I story. Remember. So every day this. after the election would be over and they'd go on TV and be like, Walter Mondale lost because he's too liberal. Michael Dukakis 
Dukakis, and then Michael Dukakis, who is as neoliberal as it's possible to be, he loses. And so they go on to be like, he was too liberal, Nomi. He's, he was a, (laughs) it's always about the new deal. There's actually a historian that uh, a historian of the new deal who was writing about the new deal in these days, in the eighties and the nineties. And he got so, uh, well, he wrote a book about that's just about all the times people said that the new deal was, was dying or needed to die. The whole book is filled with these remarks. And you, you know, again, this is right out in the open. You can go check it out of the library. It is hysterical. You know, like Gary Hart in the 70s yeah. when he was coming up, he, his, his standard issue stump speech would be like denouncing the New Deal, saying the New Deal is over. You know, new de- we, we have to have a new vision. And he called his those vision people. vision was great. Yeah, he, he called those people. <laughs> <laughs> he called those people Eleanor Roosevelt Democrats. Whoa. I know. That's isn't that mean? That, that's like, Ooh. that's what he would call people. Gary like Hart is sexist. Who would have thought? I, I know. And, and <laughs> they called him an Atari Democrat. That was the cool thing to be an Atari Democrat because you were like in with the you know the oh, it's like the information age. The early yeah, that, well you understood you understood silicon valley and do and, atari you know, is, is the game for for kids out there yeah that's right i used to have atari. one i used to have one i'd come home from school i was a little latchkey kid and i'd come and home gary, from school and i'd be playing with that damn thing You'd and get, gary like, hart ran for president and uh google gary hart famously yeah famous, had a, the, one, uh, of the, one of the first like modern sex scandals where there, there wasn't incredible. even really any sex involved no there wasn't he was on a boat it's yeah. a great story we're not gonna talk about it now but like google it if you have a chance and it's uh and he was supposedly going to be the one that was going to win oh well yeah um, he was he had everything going for him uh, all the all the the hot ideas and you know he was young and you know um so anyhow so so let's let's um we're gonna take a break in just a second really quick break but what i what i want to talk about specifically is why there was this shift. I mean, there was, this is yeah. you've documented this so well in Listen Liberal. So, so, I mean, I remember Elaine Kmark, who is from the Brookings yeah. Institution. She's one of the sort of masterminds of all this. Exactly. Yeah. So she, I was on the Unity Reform Commission with her and she was just, I mean, just matter of fact, super, no, we need super dominance. Well, because people don't know, like we yeah. need the elders to decide. Yeah. They're not and fond she, of democracy. These people. She's not fond of democracy. I couldn't, the words that were coming out of her mouth, it was like, how out of touch are you that you don't even have code for this you're just saying it and then the second thing she said over and over and i remember i responded and i've said this a few times before she says well we can't have another mcgovern we can't have another mcgovern map meaning uh his 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 horrible loss and i looked at right well and why because he was too liberal actually mcgovern was was basically one of them he was i know a a new politics guy (laughs) what do you think the hillary clinton map was what do you think if that was not our mcgovern moment then what is our mcgovern moment seriously like you that's why we were on the reform commission was you were trying to figure out how not to do it again and she just looked at us like we were going to create this. I'm like, you're so you're 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 get out of Harvard, like get out. Yeah, but that's uh, you know, yeah, that's part of the story. That, uh, you know, I, I don't want to go get too deep in the weeds here and talk about the different personalities, uh, uh, but the, they were oh, all no, together. Please. They were all together I'm in the I'm 80s and 90s. Uh, you know, what was it called? The Democratic Leadership Council. This is Bill Clinton was the was their um, was their sort of favorite 
you know, okay. politician. He was the guy that they, they wanted to run him for president. Al Gore was part of that group. Uh, among <laughs> Barack Obama was not, but he later sort of- He's too young. He became an honorary one, you know? Yeah. But uh, 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 Joe Biden definitely was part of that, that bunch, you know? And- Let's, uh, um, let's go to a quick break real quick, and then let's okay. go back to that, because I would love to hear okay. a little bit more about Joe Biden's history. Um, we'll be back in just like one second, one quick second with Thomas Frank. Uh, Thomas, welcome everybody. Welcome back to the Domiki Show. Uh, I I just have to share a, a message before we do our shout outs later. My mother texted me during this break and she says, oh my God, I love Thomas Frank. So <laughs> <laughs> that's nice of her. So here's a, this is the one I was trying to think of Frederick Dutton changing sources of power. So this is 1971 and he was behind what was called the McGovern commission. And they, the idea there was to shift the democratic party away from organized labor and towards, uh, you know, highly educated. Well, the, the college kids who were, who were protesting the Vietnam war, uh, and they they actually succeeded. And that was what led to George McGovern's staggering loss in 1972. He only won one state, remember, Massachusetts and the District of Columbia. And uh, what's funny is that the Democrats have never looked back. They've never said, well, that was a bad idea. You know, we should. Oh, okay, <laughs> we so should, this is, this is like the have. ultimate question, though. I would love to think that this is just a conspiracy theory, but having been on these commissions- Oh, no, this is all people, in the open. No, no, no. All... I mean, when, what I'm saying specifically, that they don't want to win. Like, it's one thing that, that they have an agenda. I oh. was on these commissions, and I, you have to be- I, I don't I don't know if it's like a Romanoff, like I'm in a castle and like I can't understand what's going out in the working class out there, and they're, they're coming to like burn down the castle, yeah. or if- I mean, when 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 you well, wrote about I, the Koch think, brothers, for think, instance, like yeah, their involvement, ago, yeah. Yeah, yeah, their involvement in the DLC, like I looked at that and I just said, and then and then how do you think that you're going to win um, nationally when you take all the money away from the D from the state parties under the Ob after the shellacking? Shouldn't have you said that? Oh, maybe I should like fund the state parties again. Yeah, I mean, I'm just like. So that I'm, I think I think that they that they do want to win, but they want to win on their terms. And they, what that means is that they want to win without doing anything differently. Uh, this is and by the way, this is a consistent sort of if you for people who watch the two parties, the Republicans are kind of endlessly dynamic. I mean, we can look at uh, look at Trump. I almost said Ronald Reagan. Look at Trump, <laughs> what he's doing right now at this moment. They're always pushing the envelope. He's already like plan basically planning his strat his comeback in 20. 2024, and he's trying to lay the groundwork for that, trying to make a Biden look, uh, delegitimate Biden, you know, do whatever it is that he's doing. Uh, they're forever doing this. And the, and the Democrats are extremely complacent. I mean, even the way they talk to you is extremely complacent. You know, they can never look you in the eye, et cetera, et cetera. It's always like, you know, take it easy. Everything's going to be fine, you know? And uh, it's just it's just endlessly frustrating. I think they want to win, but they want to win on their terms what they don't want to do is actually you know well they don't want to be the party of working people for a lot of different reasons one is they don't believe in it uh because what they believe in is this you know this sort of uh, uh this sort of technocratic dream that you and i have talked about before where the society is run by you know uh affluent white collar professionals in the suburbs. And, uh, you know, that's the group that we need to be part of because they're so enlightened and they're so, you know, uh, morally good. One of the things, Nomiki, we should talk about this later. I am so sick of goodness. 
You know, I'm, I'm here in Bethesda, the decency, Maryland. The decency. You know, you know what's decent, Joe Biden? Um, so maybe we should shut down the concentration camps at the border. That would be really <laughs> decent. Another thing that'd be really decent <laughs> yeah. would be if um, you know what I mean is the minimum the, wage, uh, health care for the, all. Mor- the moral self-regard of these people, the, the moral the, the moral narcissism of these people that we they are so goddamn virtuous. When I was at at Hillary's convention, which I guess is the last convention that they actually had in an auditorium and, you know, and oh, they yeah. had to, and I, I, I counted the number of videos they showed in which people were moved to tears, like people on the screen, you know, because someone is so goddamn good, you know, and it just, <laughs> it's like you're overdosing on virtue all the yeah. time. They're just, they're too goddamn good, but they never want to actually do anything. Anyhow, so to get back to the, what, what we started with, we're running a th- we've been running a 30-year experiment in this country to see what it looks like when a middle-class society, when you don't have a party of the left uh, in a society like that. And we know, it, we know the economic effects. This inequality is completely and totally out of control. Uh, monopoly is out of control. You know, the, the rich are rich. Like, look at Silicon Valley. It's, it's insane. And there's nobody- the transition team? The Silicon Valley took a break from Silicon Valley and they're just running the transition. Oh, my God. Oh, I just got out-cynicismed by (laughs) Nomiki. So, uh, no, that is not what I meant. I meant look at the power of Silicon Valley. They're surveilling us all the time, you know. This is incredible. Hi, Janet Napolitano. I know you see us on Zoom right now. (laughs) We can go on the road. Those things happen, but you also have when the party of the left abandons, you know, talking about the middle class, talking about the working people, talking about, you know, uh, uh, you know, building a society for them, you know, which Roosevelt, Lyndon Johnson, that's what it was. That's what the Democrats were. When you abandon that, you basically leave the, the high road open to the right to appeal to those very same people. Uh, you know, that is, after all, I, this, is an, I, this is the part where I'm really going to, uh, I'm going to really bust some knowledge on you, Nomi. There's more working class people than there are rich people. Oh, my God. Did you, did you know this? <laughs> so, so you mean. <laughs> I don't know if you're aware of this. Seven become little mini robots for some <laughs> I don't know if you're aware of this, but they're but, not uh, all in unions. That's I think. No, I think that's right. No, they're, and they're, well, look, they're 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 they're, the they're fragmented yeah. in in a hundred yeah. different ways. So yeah. you have the white working class, you have the black working class, you have union members, you have non-union members, you have women, you have men. You know, there's all sorts of different ways. People that work in this industry, people that work in that one. Um, you know, there's uh, there's all kinds of different ways of dividing these people up. But when you turn your backs on them as a whole which the Democrats have done and say, well, we're going to appeal to these people over here. You know, uh, we're going to appeal to these voters by a different route and these voters by a different route, but we're not going to talk about them as working people all together. We're not, we're, you know, forget that. We're done with that. Uh, and then pit them against each other too. I mean, yeah. that's what. Well, the then you then things... you leave the you leave the way open for. I mean, to make a long story short, you leave the way open for Trumpism. So d- Trump is going around calling the Republicans a workers' party, and uh, you look at Pat Buchanan, who's sort of one of the uh, pioneers of this approach. He is overjoyed by the results last week. He's like, look at this. We are actually the Republicans are actually expanding their uh, outreach to working class people away from just white working class people to now uh, you've got all of these Latinos who are who voted for Trump. You know, this is kind of remarkable. I didn't expect that. Uh, Trump did uh, better than 
any Republican for a long time among among the black electorate, which also was a huge surprise to me. I didn't think that would happen. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's happening. It's, it's happening. It's Anyhow. it's not like these tactics are new, right? I mean, they're done by the Republicans. They're done by the Democrats, even in the DNC itself. I can't tell you how many. Um, especially in the last five years, how many DNC meetings I've gone to where there's some sort of controversial, it shouldn't be controversial at all, um, you know, item like banning conflicts of interest, for instance, or like super delegates. <laughs> well, that know. is, ooh, that is controversial. Oh my God. Right? <laughs> I, um, <laughs> and they will find a group, usually, um, uh, it's, it's usually uh, a black-led group of folks to say, this is racist. And it's like, why is banning conflicts of interest racist? And and of course it's not. And there are plenty of people who are, you know, dispel that. But they're, they use identity as a weapon against anything that might create more democracy, accountability, yeah. Yeah. oversight within the party, even in the party structure. And and then they also use Barack Which Obama, is, by the way, can, can I tell you, can I tell you that, I mean, that's uh, I, the, something that's highly ironic. They used to use it the other way around. So in the Bill Clinton days, the early days of the Democratic Leadership Council, the whole idea was you had to win Southern whites. Uh, and the way you're going to do that is is through the opposite strategy. So Bill Clinton and welfare reform, this was... It's insane. Welfare reform was a bid for the bigot vote. The whole idea then was that, oh, we've lost the bigot vote. Democrats have lost. We got we to gotta reach out to the bigot vote. The Bubba vote, because he was yeah. Bubba, right? Yeah, yeah, but, but worse than that. I mean, welfare reform, you look at how it was sold. This is a, this is a monstrous deed. I, in my opinion, that and the crime bill of 94, which is the same, the same deal, these are some of the worst things the Democratic Party has ever done. Uh, and it was done with entirely the opposite logic. And then, but they'll use, but they'll use, and in truth, uh, they will use any kind of rationale to defend what they want to do. I mean, that's, that is Clintonism. If they'll use, they'll use um, uh, racism if they need to, and they'll use anti-racism if they need to. It's, you know, that, Right. They just they want what they want and they're going to use this as a tool to get it. Depends on how you define sex. It's just, you know, he's <laughs> it's going to come it's, up with whatever. Wait, wait. No, it's is. The word was is. is. How do you define is? is? How do you define is? <laughs> <laughs> okay, kids, go back to the 90s. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, By the way, so, here's here's Al Fromm's uh, memoirs. Oh, this, this, oh, he Al was the leader of leader of the Democratic Leadership Council, and the uh, by the the it's, it's, the book is called The New Democrats and the Return to Power. And by return to power, he means the Bill Clinton administration, which yeah. is for him th to this day that is the great triumph. That's the great moment. Here's Gary Hart's memoir. Here you can see what he looked like. There he is. He new Democrats. That was face. pre yeah. pre. Uh, Controversy, obviously. Yeah, that was in the 80s. He was running against Walter Mondale in uh, 84. Yeah. yeah, the controversy was in 88. Yes, yes. So um, I, I want to talk a little bit about this moment because I, I'm kind of vacillating. I guess I was before the transition team was announced. Um, I was sort of vacillating between like, I just don't think that Joe Biden and this moment, given, given that we're in such, the, the economy is spiraling it's, it's like they can they can falsely inflate Wall Street all they want. They can prop you know, whatever they're going to do. It's not going to solve the crisis of this moment, a crisis that that's larger since the Great Depression prior to COVID. And now mm -hmm. post COVID where we're, he's he's just inheriting um, problems way, way bigger than I think uh, 2008, 2009 under Obama. And as a result, I just feel like even because Joe Biden is like the last uh 
he's like an early neoliberal. So he yeah. was he he existed before the technocrats came in and like yes. turned you into a a candidate. Like he didn't he no one like turned There's him into a candidate. There's something very old fashioned about him. He's, yeah, uh, yeah, and uh, I I think that are you asking me for a ray of hope here? Because so, I'll, so, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. I can play that game. I don't know about a ray of hope, but I, I <laughs> I've been fast and I'm like okay, so he. He could take this moment seriously, partly because he has nothing to lose and he just wants his legacy to be strong um, as a president. And this is an FDR moment. Uh, and he is it a Johnson. Is. He's like a Johnson's, yep. you know, kind of guy. He, is. he spent his life in the Senate. He has exactly. that. He has the, the Lyndon Johnson magical power, you know, where he can talk anybody into anything, or at least he used to have it. Yeah. I don't know if he, st- I don't know if he still does. But uh, but, then, uh, but then alternatively, okay. So here's my one thing that makes me feel like this moment's a little different. I looked at that transition team and I was like, oh, this is the Kamala Harris transition team. This is not the Obama third term. This is the Kamala Harris transition team. This is what her do you mean by brother-in-law. That? Well, her brother-in-law's on the, is the chair of the transition team. Uber lawyer. You look at the transition team it's full of silicon valley um and and of course like the, this is the prop prop 22 guys isn't that prop great 22 what they just crowd. Did? yeah i believe they just did that that was democrats just did that yes democrats not just democrats kamala harris democrats just did that so i, I you know part of me was like okay we're gonna have a new democratic party we're gonna have a new dnc because there's no okay the neoliberal experiment failed like even the financial times said that <laughs> like Wait, they did? They did? You know, what's extraordinary, like Tom Friedman is saying it. Paul Krugman is saying it. This is that we are at a turning point. And this is this is one of the things that makes me very uh, I mean, I'm gratified, uh, you know, because uh, like this is what I've been saying for 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 30 years. Yeah, but they're going to get the credit, Thomas. I don't care about that. The thing is that (laughs) it's finally it's finally made its way through the like through the punditariat, you know, the pundit class. And they're and they're and they're, you know. They're all agreeing. So it's like Biden can't go back to the neoliberal turn. He can't go back to I mean, he can, but it'll be against like nobody believes it anymore, like NAFTA style trade agreements. Nobody thinks that's a good idea. What what, a a bank deregulation, the other great like triumph of Clintonism. Nobody thinks that's a good idea anymore. So, by the way, if you go back and look at, you know, the new Democrats and the return to power, if you look at what their great triumphs were, remember the Clinton administration, what were they? Welfare reform, disaster. Crime bill of 94, which Biden, by the way, had a big hand in writing. Yep. Disaster, utter catastrophe. Uh, uh, you look at uh, what? Uh, bank deregulation and deregulation of telecoms, disaster, disaster, disaster. The trade agreements, disaster. Uh, the balanced budget. Well, you can argue that one either way. I don't think it was a good, a good idea. It's not something, to, but those were Clinton's, that's what he did. Those five things. Uh, you, let's not forget a really big one. Uh, ignoring Osama bin Laden, who <laughs> was threatening the country during the Clinton administration and just oh, really? being I didn't know that. preoccupied. Oh yeah, it's been written about. But, but I was going to say, these are the things that Clinton no, but I mean, admires. Like, terrorism, I mean, these two things that have just been haunting us for Clintonism and then the war on terror, these two things that have been haunting the party for the last 35 years. Yeah. Really but, last he, years. He, uh, but look, all I'm saying is Biden can't go back to that. So, I mean, he might do it anyways, right? I'm sure he can find, you know, some, economist or you know professor from harvard to tell him it's a good idea but here's the deal if the number one priority for the new administration has to be covid the number two priority has to be uh uh 
draining the Trump swamp. He's got to figure out how to stop Trumpism. This movement has to stop. He has to cut the legs out from under it somehow. He has to do some strategic thinking, figure out how this thing happened and what the Democratic Party, what he, Joe Biden, can do, what is within his power to make sure it doesn't ever come back. And I'm here to tell you that the the good news is that, uh, you know, being a good president, doing the things that you and I are just talking about, uh, the, you know, would, uh, you know, helping out working people, you know, coming up with ways to, to actually make their lives better. That would also go a long way towards draining the Trump swamp and, and, and cutting the legs out from under Trumpism. If he were to reconsider this crap, you know, if he were to reconsider this crap, like, don't do that, Joe Biden, go back the other way, yeah. you know, <laughs> Re- remember what the Democrats used to be when you were young. And he does know, I mean, he does remember that. And by the way, just on the, I, uh, Joe Biden has a terrible track record as a, as a member of the U.S. Senate. He's responsible for a lot of the things that we're talking about. But I also know liberals here in Washington who really think he's a good guy and they really think he's going to do the right thing. Uh, like Bernie Sanders, uh, you know, yeah. among other you know, Bernie Sanders thinks that, that that Biden has the potential to be another FDR. Well, and, so and it is like possible. FDR also as Harvey K, who, who you were on with on our show last time. I love that guy. He's the <laughs> Best. He is. Um, he loves you too. Uh, he he has has said this that FDR didn't. FDR became FDR, and it was that because is true. of the pressure. Yeah. Around it wasn't. Him it wasn't really moment. clear what what the New Deal. He had this slogan, the New Deal, in 1932. Gave a great speech about it at the Democratic yeah. Convention, but it was not clear to anyone what it entailed. You know, other than it was a program to get us out of the depression, but how and what was he going to do? Uh, and it, it it you know by 1936, everybody could see uh, it, it, it came together very quickly. But yeah, that is exactly right. And Biden can I, I think I, I look, I don't want to, you know, you know, like a year from now, you're going to have me back and be like, Tom, Frank, you told us Biden was going to be another FDR. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying he has the potential to hear us. Uh, Biden likes to, you know, he has a kind of rapport with uh, working class voters. He likes to speak in union halls. He likes yeah. to visit factories. Uh, he calls himself, you know, middle class Joe. Yeah. There is an opening there. Uh, and there's I, a I hope it between him and, and, and Obama. And I think this is something like if we really want to understand where we stand in this, Obama had no uh, you know, allegiance to the Democrat, like meaning the party itself, like Biden's a party man. Obama had no allegiance to unions because he didn't come out of them. And, yeah. and I think that's why he was able to have all these technocrats. I think Kamala Harris is very similar in that way. Yeah. So my, my concern is, yeah. is are, he going yeah. to be a Kamala Harris president stand in like runway to Kamala Harris, or is he going to actually take advantage of this moment and, and really lean into his greater instincts. And I, and I hope, you know, talking to folks in Washington have known him for years too. My hope is that he's just transactional, and that's why he was part of the crime bill. And that and and people using say that, that transaction. I've had people tell tell me that that he just did whatever the party. You know, he, he yeah. was a good. He was a loyalist. And he wasn't now like he's, a, a neoliberal thinker, right? And now that words. he's in charge, he he gets to you know unleash the inner liberal Joe Biden. <laughs> well, we're going to find that. out. Yeah, we're going to find <laughs> out. I, I, I mean, I, who the hell knows? I, I mean, I don't want to get people's hopes up. I just want to point out that there's that there's an opening for this, and you know, anything can happen in the next four years and let's hope he does a great job but i i am not 
now to go back to what I really think, uh, I, I think he's going to be a weak president and going to get weaker. I mean, unless, unless they pull off a miracle in Georgia, uh, next month, um, and win both of those races. Why do you think that's a miracle? You really think that there's no oh, shot cause, in Georgia? Uh, just because it's like two, uh, isn't it two incumbents are, are up for, yeah, that's two incumbent Republicans are, you know, they ha- and they have to, the Dems have to get both of them. You I'm don't think thinking- that we're not going to, we're going to come up with like some great ads that's going to just. Some great ads. <laughs> But that's exactly it. No, John Ossoff, like, like, man, he is like, he is, he's like, he is, his skin is just, I mean, his, his body is just a money funneling machine for the Democratic Party. It's like, how do I move more ad money through my body? And that's like a ventriloquist. I mean, he's like my age. I can't even, I, I can't, like, are you kidding me? My age, I'm 36 guys. Pete Buttigieg is two years older than me. Yeah, yeah. Can you imagine this? Can you imagine the Democrats helping anybody on our side like that and and how by the way they would win if they invested in people like well that. hey as, as as my friend matt stoller always says you know as consultants did real well this time around the consultants oh were God. like they cashed in by the way uh, interesting little fact you know we're talking about the two parties and these long-term shifts how the democrats have changed so much in the last 30 years um uh, one of the, the the interesting things is that they routinely now outraise and outspend Republicans routinely. I mean, when I was coming up, that never that never happened. I mean, Reagan outspent Mondale. I don't know what the ratio was, but it has to be two or three to one. Uh, I, you know, when I was doing my research for uh, the people know Roosevelt just got crushingly outspent in 1936, but he won in one of the greatest landslides of all time, you know, uh, on and on and on. But now, you know, Hillary uh, massively outspent and outraised Donald Trump. And I'm sure when we have all the numbers in, it'll, it'll be clear that Biden did the same thing. And you also see this uh, geographic flip that's going on. And this is the one that blows. I'll give you the example that blows my mind. So 15, 16 years ago, I wrote, what's the matter with Kansas? And a lot of it is about the area that I grew up in, which is Johnson County, which is suburban Kansas City and uh, an affluent area, very highly educated. You know, they love their schools. I went to the public schools there. They're excellent or they were excellent at the time. And um uh, this is the most was the most Republican place or one of the most Republican places in America. Uh, they had uh, uh, they went for Goldwater over Lyndon Johnson. It was that kind of area, you know, and they were uh, the, the adults that I knew. These were just intensely Republican people. A Democrat didn't have a chance there. Uh, they hadn't voted for a Democrat there since 1916, Woodrow Wilson. And that's wow. when the county when the county was rural. OK, yeah. yeah. And they'd voted for every every Republican. Not even then. Truman. They wouldn't even vote for Truman. No, no, no. That's no, no. He's from Missouri. <laughs> we hate those people. Oh, I didn't know. That. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyhow. But here's the thing. So um, Biden won it. Biden won that county. So my that county I grew up in the most Republican county in America or was once Biden just won it. And 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 hell, Hillary flipped Orange County, California. Yeah. This is Well, this that's what they were wealthier. I mean, those are different types of Republicans. Those aren't. Well, yeah, right. Like, no, these are highly educated people. Yeah. These are people who believe in education, who are proud of their education. And this is who the Democratic Party this is who they're trying to win and they're actually succeeding at winning yeah. them. I mean, well, I'm here I mean, in Bethesda, Bethesda, Maryland, which is also this highly educated, very affluent area. It was Republican, too. A little lo- You have to go a little further back, like to the 1980s. But it, it was Republican. And, uh, uh, the, and they, I, I didn't see a single Trump 
yard yeah. sign in this neighborhood in this area. I think a similar thing is happening in Arizona too. When when people ask about what is it about Arizona, and it's where I got my start, you know, organizing. Um, it's 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 a different type of Republican. It's not. I mean, there are rural parts of Arizona. They're absolute Tea Partiers, without a doubt, like the Trumpy people. Yeah, yeah. But it's still very like Scottsdale, Arizona, and Paradise Valley, Arizona. Those are the red dots in in Phoenix. But they're starting to get. You know, those are purple. And even the wealthier part of Tucson that was. Martha McSally's seat, for instance, um, turned without a doubt Biden, like didn't even, wasn't even a question. So it's, it's interesting Like the technocrats are taking over. My concern though about this is we're going to look at this election cycle as some sort of like precedent, but it's really an anomaly in that the turnout was just so high. So if Democrats yeah. actually focused on turnout, actually yeah. focused on organizing across the country, actually focused on organizing Georgia, so that, you know, what Stacey Abrams and, 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 and the women in Georgia who've been organizing, you know, voter outreach, it showed you that the, the states are actually more democratic than people think. And if there's turnout, then, you know, in offsite. Yeah, I, can, I, can I just uh, throw yeah. in there that the turnout is uh, two things. COVID. So people are yes. sitting at home getting madder and madder and madder and, and they can do their mail in ballots. And so you've got an incredible turnout from that. And also Trump. People, yes. people hate this guy or alternately people love this guy. And uh, uh, that's not, that's not going to happen, you know, unless you have Trump, you know, actually on the ballot in 2024, that's not going to repeat itself. <laughs> Neither of those things right. is going to repeat itself. Let's hope the, uh, the, the you know, know me, I kind of want to wrap this up with a, with a bow for you by uh, returning to this idea of the uh, affluent white collar, you know, wealthy suburban Democrat uh, and, sort of remind you of one of the points that I made long ago in uh, uh, either, I think it was in Listen Liberal, but it might have been in an earlier book, that that ultimately these people, um, their politics is utterly complacent. And what I mean by that is like, you know, Trump got them tax cuts. They, they aren't really threatened by Trump. He cut their taxes. He did something really, you know, he doesn't really threaten. He's a bore and he's a jerk and he's an asshole and, you know, he's vulgar. And, and that offends he embarrasses them. them. Yeah. But he, at the end of the day, he didn't hurt them materially. Okay. And they, you know, I, I've talked a lot about those yard signs that you see in affluent areas that try to list all the liberal causes. Do you know the ones I'm talking about? It's like, you know, yes, the, no, like no human is illegal. Women's yes. rights are human rights. Science is real, you know, and they, they keep adding lines to them yeah. to try to incorporate, to try to, you know, they want to incorporate every possible liberal. And it ends with like, yes, queen. No, no, it, it should, but it has, no, I think the last line on it is now is like, water is life. You know, oh, yeah. I, I don't, I'm I don't like, know oh, what yeah, that you means. Standing rock, buddy. Here's, the thing, here's the thing. They don't say anything about labor. They don't say anything about work. They don't so say happy. anything about, about like, about like, you know, every human should have health care. You know, every job should, you should be able to make a living doing blue collar work. You know, they don't say anything about that. And here's what I'm, what I'm, what I'm, ultimately coming to that these people don't really have a pro they are all former republicans or a lot of them are anyways they don't really have a problem with uh you know, with 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 Republicans getting in office, if it's a nice, polite Republican like George Bush Sr. and he cuts their taxes and and you know and something like that, because what they're in Democratic politics for is this. That, remember, we were talking about the virtue earlier. This this sense of righteousness. These are people who are doing extremely well in this economy. Neither party is threatening their material well-being. Uh, 
what the Democrats offer them is a kind of a way of being both rich and feeling really smug about it, feeling really good about it. They're not only richer than the people who work for them. They're morally superior. That's right. To the people who work for them, you know, and so when the you know the guy comes up to 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 do their you know to to work on their yard or whatever, they're not only you know they they can pay him very little. It doesn't really matter because they're better people, and that's that's what the Democrats are great offer. Tippers. But, but here's the thing: that doesn't require winning an election, Naomi. That doesn't require electoral victory. And so you come back to the point that you made at the very start: that there's a there's a kind of death-like complacency about this new Democratic Party that we've become, where winning elections is not the the end of politics. Those stupid yard signs are. Which is funny because they don't even want to fund yard signs anymore. I call it the utopia of scolding. They're in a utopia already, this happy little beautiful suburban neighborhood where they have their – you know, their, their, their wonderful lifestyle, and they get to scold the people lower in the hierarchy than themselves. It's incredibly satisfying, and it doesn't require winning elections. Mm. You know, just, just to end this, I was talking to somebody um, who's, uh, I was just trying to figure out some election, some electoral stuff, and somebody who was working on a campaign this cycle who's not a progressive. And I was asking him some questions about um, the district they're working in, and somehow we got on the topic of Uber. And, um, uh-oh. It's my, it's my, yeah, they know that I'm on. I, I don't know why they do this. And okay. It's okay. Just, we're about to wrap. Um, and, and, and I heard this line about Uber, like, well, don't you, I don't understand why progressives don't like Uber. It's just made cities so much safer. It has transformed the economy. And it like, I just, it was mind boggling to me because they literally thought New York became a safer they, city. Wait, how did it become, how did it make cities safer? I don't, I, by putting I, taxis out of taxis business? taxis were unsafe. For some reason, that there was some sort of. Oh, that would, that would never launched, occur to me. The line that Uber used to say was, "We're breaking up the taxi cartel." They said oh that in DC, God. the oh, founders. Yeah. So I think this sort of messaging is infusing, and it's just it's in their circles, and it's we really just as Republicans and Democrats don't know how to speak to each other, like the Trump people. I think that liberals and progressives just there's just for the most part there's just like a wall. Like we operate in different circles, we speak a different language. And it's and and some liberals think they're progressive, as you know, the people who have yeah. those signs out. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, there's there's, and that part of that is because the Democratic Party um, ignores all dissent and pushes us off of off of MSNBC, so they think that Rachel Maddow is progressive. So we had a lot of work to do. I used to think that too. <laughs> I, well, she, I think she used to be a little bit more progressive, but she was yeah. a Republican, I think, too, at one point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't yeah. that funny? That's the great transition of our time. It used to be the other way around, but now yeah. it's, uh, yeah. Yep, that's it. Um, <laughs> Thomas Frank, oh my God, we could do this for another hour. I have so many more questions. I know, oh, I please. know, but we got to stop. Gotta go, I've got go. to answer that phone. You got to answer the phone. I have to eat something. <laughs> uh, all right. You are you are free to exit the building, Thomas Frank. <laughs> We're going to do some shout outs to everybody in the super chat who loved you, including my mother. She's so happy that you're on. Um, so, but anyways, thank you very much, Thomas Frank. Uh, you can check out Thomas Frank's book, which is called "The People No: A Brief History of Anti-Populism." And of course, I'm very you can go proud back. of it. It's I, I I really like that book, by the way. It's uh, my last book about politics, and I think in some ways my best. But not your last ever, just like the most recent. No, I'm going to write about other things. I've I've got I've got a whole world out there what? waiting for me. So what? No. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. No, we need you. This is what no, we no, need no, you. No. You got it, Naomi. It's all yours. You, you got, got it. You have to give me all your books. I have to read all those books that I can't find <laughs> you don't in the library. To. You don't have to. I summarized them for you. I it's want all, to read out It's all books. here. It's all in my, you just, just read my summary of them. You don't need any more than that. I don't it's need all, a cliff notes. I want to go <laughs> read the transcripts. <laughs> I all was right. the crazy person who, who read those commission transcripts before oh, I went yeah. on the Unity Reform yeah. Commission because I, I was like, I need to understand. Yeah, I'm straight up crazy. I was like, I see you, Jim Roosevelt. I know who you are. You think you're the grandson of FDI. I know who you are. You're the fixer. <laughs> that's what they call you in the DNC. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's a real thing. Um, all right. Thanks, Thomas. <laughs> Next time, uh, you know, I'm sure we'll have more to talk about. It'll all right. We shall talk soon. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Um, shout out to Dee Marie, who says the point of right regarding righteousness is so insightful and how they get all the well-off libs to cry about missing Obama. Spot on. Tick Todd CRC. Oh, my God. Thank you for the love. What? I, I can't believe it. That's like I have to go back and look at that number. I'm, I feel like I'm. That's not accurate. But anyways, thank you. Thank you. And good work this week. And Thomas Frank, gracias, Nomiki. De nada. Um, Jeff Petit, thank you for the love. Al Walski, thank you for the love. And he says, in appreciation of your commitment to keep the electorate informed, I couldn't see it any other way. This is way more fun than going on a cable news program. Uh, Kowalski from Nebraska, he's back. In red states, we should prim primarily as Republic, I think primary, as Republicans on local populist issues. At best, you make it... At worst, you tie up resources. That's smart. Make them bleed for every seat. Light the flame of progress and let it burn. You know, it would be interesting if we could create like a Lincoln project for Republicans. And then we find some Republicans, like you said, to, to challenge those, those right-wing people and tie up their resources. Something to think about. Um, sounds like something like a Roger Stone would come up with. <laughs> just against us. Uh, Tony DeMeo, Thomas Frank is responsible for my enlightenment. Oh, I wish he had heard that. Oh, maybe he'll watch it again. Torches and pitchforks. <laughs> Thanks for the love. Thanks, Thomas Frank. YouTube left media is the best. Thanks, Nomi. Where is my Nomi don't play that shirt? It's a 90s reference. I know. Thanks, Dorsey. I do remember that. And I think we should get that, actually. Thanks to everyone who's mixing it up in the live chat. Thank you to Mini Doctors and Jules for working the algorithms. And huge thank you to our moderator, Chokin, for keeping the chat room troll-free. We don't need those right-wing trolls. We will see you tomorrow. We have Femme Friday. We're going to talk about Armenia. I'm actually going to pre-record that interview right now. We're going to talk about what's been going on there. Um, and then we're going to have a, a, a great panel tomorrow uh, where we discuss Bernie Sanders as Labor Secretary. And I am going to uh, give my appeal to Bernie Sanders uh, in regards to being Labor Secretary. So you definitely want to tune in live for that one. And if you haven't already, make sure to smash that like button and click subscribe and click those alerts. We will see you tomorrow. Same time, same place.